0: This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See your king comes to you gently and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them and found the colt outside in the street tied at the doorway. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on him, on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground while others cut branches they had cut in the fields and spread them on the road when they came near the place where the road goes down to the mount of olives the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise god in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the King of Israel, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, Lord, you have called forth your praise. And he left them. Since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve, where he spent the night. Now the crowd that was with him when Lazarus was called from the tomb raised him from the dead and continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that what he had performed, this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him because they couldn't find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So reads God's word. Now, I I don't know about you, but I actually I find this quite uh, an exciting story. Uh, It is a well-known story, and yes, we do cover it every year. It's a positive story, um, exciting. There's lots of activity. There are crowds, there are palm leaves, and yep, there are donkeys again. Disciples and religious leaders, and even money changers. I've covered this numerous times in Sunday school, no doubt preached upon it as well on a Palm Sunday in years gone by. It's always in the children's Bible, and there are many, many Sunday services. There are hymns, and it is the start of what's known as Holy Week or Easter. It's the last week of Lent. Now today's Palm Sunday, then we've got the Holies Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, followed by Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and then what's known as Holy Saturday, that day in between the two key days. But not Easter or Resurrection Day. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, consist of 89 different chapters. 25 of those, 89, cover Holy Week. That's nearly 30% just for one week, which shows the significance of this week and their teaching contained within these seven days. The good news on display, especially on the Sunday that follows this. But for now, we have the first day of the week, which is seen in Matthew chapter 21, Mark 11, Luke 19 and John 12. Now, it's unusual for an event to be covered by all four Gospels. For example, take the birth of Jesus. These events are not covered in all four Gospels. Luke covers the angels to Zachariah and Mary, Jesus born in Bethlehem, and the shepherds. Matthew covers the angels appearing to Joseph and the wise men. So this is a significant event, is only covered in two parts of the Gospel. And yet here we have Palm Sunday covered in four of the different Gospels. Now only 5% or 13 events within the four Gospels are in fact covered in all four Gospels. Interestingly, of these 13 events, 10 of them occur within holy week we've just read this full account from the gospel of the events on palm sunday which goes beyond the entrance into jerusalem because it also includes the visit of the temple when jesus arrives there does he find worship and order and and reverence and a god-focused leadership and people that are worshipping no the long-promised Messiah has arrived, and the people have long forgotten him. So let's go back to our passage, uh, and let's unravel the events. I mean, I mean, by all means, go, turn back to either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, and let's unravel the events of that day. But we'll start at the end, and then rewind step by step and come back. And we will look at four groups of people that we encounter And then compare how Jesus is and how Jesus reacts to them. And at the end of the day, just before it was too late, we find Jesus in the temple courts. And we come across the money changers. So the first group that we look at is the money changers. What we're going to be looking at is the money changers, the religious leaders, the crowds, and then the disciples. And then just in closing, we are going to summarise by looking at how we can then look at learning from those and pull those into our lives. So first of all, the money changes. Now you might have been sitting there reading that and as part of you are thinking, I've read this story before. Number one, you would have read it before, but also the time of Jesus going in and clearing the temple courts. Well, there are two references of Jesus in the temple courts, not just here, but there is one which starts in John chapter 2 and verses 13 to 25. And this is the first time, just after Jesus has called his first disciples, and you have the miracle of the turning the water into wine at the wedding in Canaan. Now there's a common interpretation that Jesus is reacting to the practice of money changers, routinely cheating the people here. Um, But there is an observation as well that says that there was a good deal of money that was being stored in the temple that could be loaned by the wealthy people to the poor people who were in danger of losing their land to debt. And that the temple establishment Therefore, we're cooperating with the rich to exploit the poor. So it's even worse than what you see on the face of it. It's not just people profiteering in God's house, but it's people exploiting people with full support of the church and also the rich benefiting from them exploitation. In fact, it's interesting to note that one of the first acts of the Jewish-Roman war that follows was the burning of the debt records that were found in the archives. Also, this is an important episode as well because within a week of this incident, Jesus is dead. Matthew, Mark and Luke agree that this is the event that functioned as the trigger for Jesus's death. So we've seen what the money changers are doing. We've seen what the church is doing. We've seen what the leaders are doing anyway. What does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. He quotes Isaiah 56 and verse 7. I will bring them to my holy mountain <clears throat> and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Jeremiah 7 and verse 11. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Yes, I too have seen it, declares the Lord. So God's house, which was a house of prayer, one where burnt sacrifices and offerings would go up, a house of prayer, not just for the children of Israel, but for all nations, has now been turned into a den of robbers, as Jeremiah prophesied. But it's not hidden from God, where he says, yes, I have seen it too. Isn't it interesting that once Jesus cleanses the temple courts by driving out the money changers and all of their activity, he heals the blind and the lame. It uses the phrase, and he, Jesus, healed them. You see, a greedy world that had crept into the church is removed by God and instead God, Jesus, places love and God and the worship of God central. Religious leaders. So what does this do? Are the religious leaders happy that commerce and exploitation has been removed? And you'd like to think that they would, wouldn't you? That love now reigns. But do they? You'd like to think that any religious leader wants to see God's house become a house of prayer, where offerings and sacrifices are accepted by God. And that would be the house of prayer for all nations. But no, what do we read in this passage? But the when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, that Jesus did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Not that they were full of happiness and joy that this this was happening, that there was a God-centeredness in the church, that children were praising God in the temple courts, but they were indignant and when they get to the end of the day this heightens as it said in the passage every day Jesus was teaching in the temple but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among them were trying to kill him yet they could find no way to do it because all the people hung on his words You know, for three years, Jesus had become an increasing thorn in their flesh. He was an annoyance, an irritation. And while he was out there in Galilee preaching, uh, they almost tolerated it. Although you can see many, many times where they come and question and challenge and try to trick him up. But it's gone beyond that now. He's no longer annoyance. He now needs to be killed. So Jesus teaches and opens up the scriptures. He heals and he rises from the dead. He shows love. He challenges what is wrong and points towards what is right. And yet, not the world, but his own, want him dead. Why? Because in reality, they were never really his own. They never really loved God. They never really loved the law. And they certainly didn't love the the words. They loved the power that the law gave them, the position that they had in society, the wealth they enjoyed, the here and the now. The poor, the low status people, those with little, the widows, the ill, the dying. Well, they're of no interest to them whatsoever. But here is Jesus showing love caring teaching spending time with undesirables he shows them up for what they are and he had had enough of it and this was to be his last ever passover what does jesus do then once again he quotes scripture When they do not like the children shouting, he points towards their book of Psalms, which we read at the start of the service. Psalm 8, verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Does Jesus rebuke the disciples? Does Jesus silence the children? No. Why not? because this was the fulfilment of God's words. But does he remain silent? He does not seek the approval of the world. He does not respect the abusers of truth. He could have stopped. He could have seen the warning signs. He could have been sensible and not upset the leaders. He could have been diplomatic. He could have avoided different situations. And so he remains true to his calling. To the will of the Father. There's no compromise with Jesus. Just like Daniel, who time and time again does not bend the knee to foolish, and let's not forget it, evil men. He, Jesus, Daniel, And all the other saints that went before fixes their eyes upon the Father and stay the course. The crowds. Well, this is the well-known part of the story, hence my top with the uh, palm leaves on it. The crowds lining the road, the cutting of palm leaves and then being strewn on the road along with the cloaks. The praise to God and thank him for the coming son of David, who is coming in the name of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom. So much so that they stir the whole of the city. And there is a positive. Unlike some of the demonstrations that we've seen over the last year, they're not violent, but they're coming out to see the promised Messiah. Surely here comes the king the true king of the Jews, to replace that puppet king and the Roman oppression that they have suffered for so long. I kind of know what they're feeling. I'm sure you do too. I want this oppression at the moment, this this movement of our liberties to end, this imprisonment that we feel, I want to be free. I want to be able to hug people. I want to be able to shake hands. I want to be able to make plans. I want to be able to see all of this. I want to be able to see and be with you united in church. I want us to be able to rip off our masks and to thank God. I want us to be able to look around and see the smiles on each other's faces and not just a twinkle in the eye. It is joyous, it is exciting, it is exhilarating and there is hope in the air within Jerusalem. And it's a wonderful party. The prophet from Nazareth That many people have spoken about, that gone out and that seen, is here now in Jerusalem, as Passover nears. And Passover itself is a is a positive time. When God freed his people from oppression, when the slaves were set free, and they left their chains behind to claim that promised land. What's not to get excited, especially if this Passover? God is once again rising up a new Moses and a new God-given freedom, claiming the leader and is taking and being there for his special people. When he clears the temple and removes the oppressors, the blind and the lame are healed. Then he came to them because he was a healer in the court and the children praised him too. What could possibly go wrong? these same people, only five days later, would be calling for him to be put to death. He wasn't their version of a Messiah. Their faith had clearly been put into the wrong version of Jesus. An earthly Messiah, not one sent from God. Not his only begotten son. They didn't see Jesus for who Jesus was. Their Messiah was a carpenter. He was a teacher, a healer, a miracle worker. But this, they'd lost their saviour. They were despondent. They were disillusioned. And within 120 hours, just 120 hours, it was time not only to turn their backs on this, this fraud, but to be complicit in his death. So what does Jesus do? Well, he weeps over the coming destruction of Jerusalem that was going to take place in 70 AD. He knew that they were unable to see the peace of God that was being rejected and that this had been hidden from their eyes. They saw the wrong Jesus, the earthly Messiah, not a Lamb of God. And because of this, there was to be a consequence. The new temple would be destroyed and the people massacred and terrible suffering was to be inflicted upon them in less than 40 years. Why? Because they didn't recognise the time of God's coming to them. And as we saw earlier, Jesus quotes scripture to them regarding the children's prayers, who he did not silence he could not silence because it was part of God's will a foretold centuries ago. You see, Jesus is in touch with God's will. Our final group before we look at ourselves, the disciples. We see them following Jesus' instructions. They don't understand what it is that they're being told, but they obey. Once he has risen, everything then falls into place. Can you imagine how they felt? What joy filled their hearts when suddenly the scales were removed from their eyes and they can see Jesus and see all the events and look back and go, I don't know whether you're a film bus, but there's a couple of films out there that give you that kind of feeling. Um, Sixth Sense or The Village or another one called Donnie Darko where at the end, only at the end, does it all make sense. And here we have it with the disciples, that they went and did as Jesus instructed, but they're looking back, and looking back at his teaching, and maybe even looking back at the Sermon on the Mount and the different uh, parables and the different teachings that came out, and when he said he must do something, and they didn't understand it, when they even argued with him and said, no, Jesus, you've got this wrong. In only seven days' time, it will begin to all fall into place. But here, let's come back to now. What do they do? What do they find? They find that everything is just as Jesus said that it would be. Everything is already there. They praise him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And once again, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Doesn't this echo somewhat with the praises of the angels when they came to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2? Glory to God in the highest of heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. You know, when you walk with the Lord, your language and your actions change. You walk more in step Unless out of step. Like a new recruit who's joining up with the army in the first few days, they they can't march in step. They're, They're unhealthy. They're unfit. They don't understand what's going on. It's just chaos. But over time, they learn to walk in step. They march and they walk and they talk. And so, like us, we will walk and we will talk like our master and our friend. So what does Jesus do with the disciples? Well, as we've already seen, he prepares a way. <clears throat> He's already gone there. He's already organized everything. They've just got to go and do what he tells them, and they will find it. all of the doors will open. He instructs his disciples. So first of all, he prepares the way, then he instructs his disciples. And he supports his followers when the authorities seek to criticise them. He doesn't back away and just leave the disciples to be told off. He defends them because they are doing his will. And at the end of the day, when he knows that it's late, he leaves with the twelve and returns to Bethel. Can you imagine the conversation on the way back? the shared experiences of that day, the wonders that they had seen, and yet the concern for what he had said about Jerusalem. Did that trouble some of them? I'd imagine it would have done. And maybe the response of the religious leaders as well. That was a concern. They were getting more and more angry at what they had seen, and they were challenging more. But wow, what a day that they had experienced. So looking at Jesus, what can we learn? Well, I think the first one that came out again and again and again was, we've got to know our Bibles. Absolutely got to know our Bibles. It's from the Bible that the strength is. We also see that we need to get our house in order. If there is something that is not right, as Jesus puts right what was wrong in the temple, so we too need to look at our lives get our houses in order we need to place God and love central in our lives and you know when you see wrong don't remain silent but in love approach it challenge it but with the love of God in your heart be mindful of God's judgment as well and remember That he has prepared a way. He has prepared a way for us all the way through our lives. And listen, because he does instruct us. But What an amazing God that we have. He is aware of your needs. Even before you raise them up to him, he is aware of you. I remember many, many years ago when I um, was doing baptismal, baptismal classes with Pastor John Turner. Um, he gave me a passage of scripture um, on my baptismal um, day and baptismal card. And it was basically this, fix your eyes upon God and stay the course. And that's what we see with what Jesus is doing with the disciples and what Jesus has done all the way through. He fixed his eyes upon God. He didn't depart from that. He is our example. We must always fix our eyes upon him. We mustn't put down the plough. We must stay that course. You know, we have a wonderful saviour. Let's not forget about him. Nor take him for granted. You know, if you have been called, you are truly blessed. But if you don't know him, Seek him while he may be found. You know, it's the most important discovery of your life. This week with the youngsters um, on Friday night, we were looking at canc- cancel culture. Get my worms dry. And the thing that came out from us was the difference between the world and God. And that is God is full of forgiveness. We need to repent. God is full of forgiveness, and he will redeem us. Unlike the world which will condemn and damn, Jesus, in only five days after this, goes to the cross, knowing why he's going to the cross, willingly goes to the cross, and he sacrifices his life for you and I. If he thought you were worth dying for, then you have value but seeking where he might be found.